right. Good morning, church. So great to see you guys. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. I'm going to be reading from that here in just a second. But before I do and while you're turning there, uh, I want to let you know where we're headed next week. Um, we start a series next week, Temptation. Uh, and so that's, that's something I've been looking forward to. I actually have been, uh, I have to operate on several modes. I have to plan for a series way up there while I'm also trying to preach this Sunday. And so I've been processing a lot of the things and the material that we're going to be talking about next week. And as I do, as I process the whole subject of temptation and the Word of God in that, um, I feel like a, 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 a source of like power and uh, strength coming from that. I feel like it's just going to be a great blessing for us. It's going to be about four weeks long, uh, but we start that journey next week. If you've ever felt like you have a war going on inside of you and you want a little bit of clarity as to what exactly that is, uh, starts next week. If you're wondering how to grow as a Christian, and you know, one of the main ways that we grow in our faith is through temptation. And you want to know how to grow through it. Starts next week. If you're interested in learning, or maybe you know someone who's interested in learning how to overcome habitual sin, that plaguing thing that keeps dragging you in the ditch, um, starts next week. So uh, that's all I have, y'all. That's the best I could do to try to uh, whet your appetite a little bit for, uh, for that. But it, it does start next week. Invite a friend. Uh, we'll kick that off. It's going to be a great journey, journey together. And guess what else starts? Lent starts uh, the week after that. And so we're going to be talking about, you know, when you're thinking about the 40 days uh, before Easter, you're thinking about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. So we're going to be running parallel with that. And then those, those thoughts. Uh, and so it's going to, be, going to be a great time together. So come back. Invite a friend. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Today, um, what I wanted is to take one day to revisit um, what I started or what we began to, to start last July um, when it came to our vision series. For the next couple of years at least as pastor, I, I really want to take two Sundays a year, probably sometime around this time of the year and maybe sometime around uh, July, August, and, and actually come back and visit this and talk about where we are as a church in regards to the, in, the investment initiatives that we laid out last July. And, um, you know, we went through that four-week series. I laid out some strategic initiatives that I felt like we as a church need to uh, invest in in order to, you know, uh, address some challenges that we face and overcome some of those things. But position ourselves for many years to come to be able to do excellent gospel ministry on not just two campuses now, but three that are coming up very soon. And so I laid out those initiatives. If you did not get to listen to those four, that series in July because of whatever, summer vacation or whatever it might be, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that series. Take some time this week and go listen to that series because what I give you in that series is all the whys and how I feel like we came to this conclusion together as a church, and I laid out, unpacked all those cases and all of that last July. So please go. And we have a barcode for you. Um, it'll take you, if you'll just get your phone out and take a picture of that, it'll take you straight to that series last July, and you can listen to it uh, from there on. Leave that up for just a second, so if people are taking uh, pictures of that, and I won't think they're taking a picture of me. Okay. So, um, but today, 
the first thing I wanted to do was go to one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, especially as a pastor. Um, we get a picture, a glimpse. We get to drop down into history, as it were, and watch something transpire, and it's a critical, essential text in the Scripture. I believe if we don't have it, we get a lot of confusion when it comes to the functionality of the rhythms of the church in general and even what it looks like to follow Jesus. But yet because we have it, we can understand some essentials of the comings and the goings and the weekend and the week out of what it means and what it looks like as a lifestyle to follow Jesus. And so as I read the text this morning, I want you to ask the question, what does the functional calendar, daily, weekly, what does it look like as a lifestyle to follow Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus? What does it practically look like? Where do I go? What do I do? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And so try to erase everything that you know and have experienced up to this point. This is really the challenge of the Christian life is to try to, to make sure everything is aligned with the text of Scripture and not things you've accumulated from other sources, right? And we want to be careful with that. Um, but in the spirit of the reformers, um, that's what we do. We always go to the text and we try to reform and align our lives with the text. So erase everything. Try to. Everything that you, you, know, you think about, well, I know what a Christian does because this is what I did growing up. We did this. We went there. We saw that. And this is what we did. And then all of us have that, right? All of us have that. And not say that that's wrong. But just to say, let's set that aside for just a second. And let's ask the question on a blank sheet of paper, what does a follower of Christ look like? In their, in their lifestyle. And let's ask that question as I read through this particular text. Okay, so we're looking at Acts 2. We're going to start in verse 40. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, of course, the Spirit comes, and, and there's all kind of supernatural workings that the Spirit is doing in their midst. And it's like a, a supernatural waft, and everybody is sensing it. Uh, and it's powerful. And, and, and Peter is stepping into a moment. Uh, that's been set up for him, and he is preaching the truth of Christ as the Messiah to a Jewish, mainly Jewish audience who has come in from all over the Roman Empire for Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. So lots of people that speak different languages, but they all came in to observe the same thing, and they're all there before him, and he gets to preach the gospel to all of them. And they all hear in their own language what's a miracle, and people have questions about that, and how is that possible? And there's this overwhelming sense that what this guy is saying is true. And, and so they get to that point where he wraps up his talk, and that's where we're going to pick up. And we're going to pick up in verse 40, and I'm going to read down to verse 47. And let's look at this imagery and let's ask the question, what does it look like as a lifestyle to follow Jesus? Starting at verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, commit this time to you. And Lord, as we just uh, focus in on this particular text, Lord, uh, we, we, we see in our mind's eye a, a, like a piece of art, pictures. Like you have dropped us into this context and let us see. And Lord, uh, help us to know what the purpose of letting us see that is. In our own hearts, in our own lives, as a church, a church in a community just like them. Lord, I pray that you would just give us wisdom and insight. And Lord, may we, your church 2,000 years later, Lord, be rooted in the essentials of what it is to be your church. Help our church align our lives to what it means to be a follower of Christ as a lifestyle. And so take this time, Lord, and speak to our hearts by your spirit. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, this text is my favorite, probably in the New Testament, as a pastor, not personally, but just as a pastor, because it gives us that picture um, of what, what it looks like functionally for the very first followers to do it and show what it looks like. Uh, people that had flesh and blood and they, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And Jesus wasn't there with flesh and blood anymore. He's ascended. All you have are the apostles and the teaching of the apostles. And um, now that what does it look like at that point to be a follower of Jesus? Because when Jesus was on the scene, it was just like wherever he goes, you go. You know, and whatever he says, you do. But now what does it look like? But now what is He's not here anymore in flesh and blood. He's here in spirit. Now the apostles have authority. Now what? Now what does it look like? And that's the point of this text. Because me as a pastor, here's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at that context. And then I'm looking at us 2,000 years later as a church. And I thank God for Acts 2 because as, a church, as me being responsible for this body before God, to shepherd your souls and balance and have healthy souls and the Word of God and helping you align your life with the Word of God every day, trying to keep us on track in that sense. Um, I need something to look at. Like a, a pilot needs like instruments. Where am I? <laughs> Where am I going? And, and what, what do I do next? Uh, I need to know all of that. And really Acts 2 gives me that and it gives you that as this church. To have something that we look at that says, if we get far from this, then we're off. Right? And we keep coming back to it, and we keep coming back to it, to say, this is what it looks like. So what are those elements? What are those things that are necessary? What is the mindset that they had that, are we far from that mindset? Are we? And it's a great place to come back and always evaluate yourself as a church and say, are we fundamentally and essentially continuing on the way God wants his church to go, to do, to be. Um, it's, it's a beautiful picture. And so it's, if, and you know what? If this text is not there, it takes a lot of work on the rest of the New Testament to try to piece that together. It does. It takes quite a bit of work. But here you have it in a package, a picture, a piece of art, and it's beautiful. 
And I want to just show it. Like it, it even shows you a step-by-step process of what an individual does when they become a follower of Jesus. I, saw, I preached a sermon series years ago called uh, The Path, I think. Um, the Way. The Way. And, and it was just following along this particular principle. But it shows it. Let me, show, let me break it down for you real quick. What you see here is that the step one in being a follower of Jesus is something we're very well aware of. But let's just break it down to the basics, right? First, salvation through believing. A person hears the gospel being proclaimed, is convicted by the Spirit, and and Peter says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, I would love to take that piece out of the Bible and take a whole, you know, series and say that to you. (laughs) Amen? Save yourselves from this crooked generation. But this was the gospel proclamation 2,000 years ago to people who are hearing in their own language, the Spirit of God was so at work in their hearts, and it says that those who receive that word, what does that mean? It means they said, he's right. And I am going to take that step to say, I am submitting to that word. I am receiving that word. And so it's salvation. Salvation has come to an individual by believing what they heard. And that's it. It's not step by step doing the things. It's believing what they heard and receiving that word. And in that moment, they get salvation. And they get positionally in with Christ. And all the benefits of Christ come to them. And here we have that. We see that. So to be saved is to make a decision to become a follower of Jesus and to enter into a lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. And however that contrasts the old way, so be it. But I enter into a lifestyle of following Jesus. That's what I'm receiving when I receive the word. And so this is what we see. But secondly, we see baptism here. We see a beautiful display of baptism here this morning. It says those who believed were baptized. 3,000 of them that day. Baptism was a person getting into water to be washed. In that day, that's what you did to get washed as you went to the water and washed. And baptism was done in that place, and it was done as a symbol of washing primarily. Um, But it was not just washing away your sins and symbolizing what has happened to you because you received the word, that Jesus has washed you of all your sins. Um, It also was symbolizing death and life. In other words, this person was getting into baptismal water, submitting to the word, getting into baptismal water, saying, my sins have been washed away. And also they are saying, my old and the new, um, whatever their name was, hey, I'm Chris, and whatever my life was, I, it, was it is that no longer. I am, I am dead, and now I am alive to a new way of all of my life. My life is going to be realigned at every level, and all of that is dead, and all of this is new. And baptism was death to the old risen to the new, and I live in a whole new way of aligning my life with a whole new way of living. This is baptism. It will symbolize that. Also, baptism at the same time was a public identifier. It was like, it was like how do we know who accepted Christ? Well, let's call them out and, and into this symbol, and that's how we would find out. And they would go, I'm Chris. I'm in the water. I've been washed. I'm dead to the old. I'm starting anew. And my name is Chris, and you are all witnesses that this has happened in my life. I'm going public. 
I'm not a secret follower. I'm a public follower. And baptism was the way that we made our profession public. And so that was baptism. But baptism also, we can see here in the text, the sense of the text, this was a sort of initiation rite into a group of people. It was uh, the entryway into a spiritual family. Literally, in the text, we see that it was um, adding to or becoming a member of, a part of, a collective whole group. The literal Greek term is used for that, added to their number. It's used twice. It says that, 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 that 3,000 was added to their number, and then later it says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That added to their number is they became a belonging part of a club, a club. And they were distinct members of a club, of this particular uh, group. And so step three is membership. There is this idea of baptism worked right into membership, membership of a group, added to their number. Step four, then, now, that was coming into the body. And now discipleship was part of the rhythms of that body. Step four, devotion to discipleship rhythms. It says they devoted themselves. Devoted just means it's an ancient word for worship. It means devoted, devoted articles in the temple. They're devoted to a certain purpose. They're not used for common things or other things. They're used for that purpose only. They're set aside. They're set apart for a purpose. Um, This is the idea. And it says that they devoted themselves to certain things. In other words, they said, my life is given to certain rhythms. I'm committed to. I am uh, dedicating myself to certain rhythms and actions within a group of people called the church. And so they devoted themselves. Well, one of those rhythms was apostles' teaching. They would gather together to hear the apostles teach the word of God. Jesus handed his authority on the earth to the apostles to teach the world about him. Jesus never wrote a book, physically flesh, all right? He wrote it by his spirit, yes. But he never wrote a literal letter. He gave that charge to the apostles to lay down the doctrines of the people who would follow Jesus. They would set that up, and they would teach. Um, And the, the people in Jerusalem that day is they probably gathered in the temple, listened to the apostles teach the mass, like all of them together, And then they would break up into small groups in the home and eat dinner together. In geographical regions, they would just sort of say, oh, we're all meeting over at the Johnsons, you know, and over there we'll we'll eat. We'll talk about that in just a second. But, But the apostles' teaching was that rhythm, that they would all gather, they would say, tell us about Jesus and tell us what that means for our life. And the apostles would say, this is what it means for your life. And we do that same thing today. This is what we're doing right now. This is the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. And so we gather together to listen together, not the key. We listen together to the word of God for God and through an apostle to tell us what our lives are to look like and what decisions we're to make and what attitudes we're to have and all kinds of things like that. But this is the teaching of the apostles. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. We do the same thing today. Secondly, fellowship. And that means that they were just together continually. They weren't a bunch of individuals attending a lecture. They were a family. They knew each other. They served and loved each other. The fellowship, though, is the koinonia term, 
And it's actually the term for uh, a people who are feeling like they're locking arms in a common cause together um, and, and uniquely belong to one another. That, that's the idea for fellowship. And it's, it's they were together and they loved each other and they, and they did all the commands of Jesus together. To actually, actually practice that out. Because much of the commands of Jesus are counterculture. You can't really practice them out in the world too much. And you, but, but we can all get together and practice them together and grow in them together. I can love you and you can love me back. And we can create cultures among, uh, that, are, that are based on the commands of Jesus. And, and in this culture, that's where we practice all this stuff out. That's where we become like Jesus by doing what Jesus said to do. Fellowship. Fellowship. Breaking of bread, that's probably what I was referring to earlier when they broke in. They went up to the temple to pray together, to, to listen to the apostles' teaching. They broke up into geographic sections around Jerusalem, probably in homes. And they would say, oh, if you live over in that area, come over to our house. We're going to have you know, bread. They would do it individually and all that kind of thing. They would probably take the Lord's Supper individually in their house as well. A great sign of worship and intimacy together as they worship the Lord and do the Lord's Supper together. That would happen in the home as well. So that's probably what that is referring to. And then prayer. And this literally, you saw the definite article, the prayers, plural. Um, which is a unique term. It's not just prayer in general. Uh, a first century Jew thought of this term as visiting the temple to pray and to worship. Worship and prayer, synonymous for a Jew in the first century. They didn't think like, oh, there's the prayer and then there's the worship. No, no, worship was prayer. Prayer was aspect of, of worship. And so they would get together and they would pray the prayers. They would pray the Psalms. And when you go to the temple, um, as a first century Jew, you would go there and you'd be probably handed uh, uh, prayers to pray. Or someone would be praying and you'd be joining in with them to pray. Praying together, praying the prayers, praying the Psalms, praying the Word of God. Maybe praying the Lord's prayer as the apostles taught everyone what Jesus was saying about prayer. Um, they probably prayed that together in rhythmic prayers. Um, they probably prayed together for each other and all of those sorts of things. But they, they came together to pray. And that's why you like, I like to say that it's not necessarily true that we have a prayer ministry. We do have a prayer ministry and they'd love to pray for you. But we shouldn't think of that as that's who prays. No, the church is a prayer ministry. We come together to worship, to pray to God. We do all that together to pray for one another. Prayer is like what we do. Um, it's, it's not just what some people do. We come together to pray and to seek the Lord. Okay, so prayer, the prayers. Um, but you see here, to follow Christ means to receive the word, to go public in baptism, to join the family of God, and then enter into the rhythms of that family continually, and being an integral part of that family continually, and that functionally is following Jesus. That is following Jesus. And in those rhythms of the body, meeting and worshiping and praying and fellowshipping and loving each other, and in those rhythms, a person is taking the, the old life and aligning it with the new way in the rhythms of the body. To be a follower of Jesus, this is what we do. This is what you do. This is how you follow Jesus, period. And here's the operative word, together. Together. You cannot escape this text without seeing very clearly that at the very first, right here at the very beginning and all the way up until today, to follow Christ has always been and always will be a together process. 
It's done together. Let me show you something else. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. This is Jesus on the scene handing the baton to the apostles and saying, go. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, obey, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, Y'all are familiar with this passage, right? Jesus gave the baton to the apostles. What did the apostles actually go do to make disciples and baptize them and observe? They planted churches. That's what they, they didn't all run around and just get individuals to follow them individually the same way they did to Jesus. They, They actually went and planted churches. They preached the gospel, took everybody who believed, made them a body. And formed a church, and then they just started discipling each other. This is what they did. That is fo- so the church, being involved in the church, is being a follower of Jesus. They are synonymous, and there's not another pathway in the New Testament that's even thought of. So, how did they do it? Make disciples, preach the message. Baptize them, get them in water, identify them, bring them into the body. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, devoting themselves to current continued rhythms of teaching and aligning our lives and living life together and and growing in Christ together. The, The apostles viewed fulfilling the Great Commission, building Christian communities that came together to be in process of discipleship and following Jesus. Local churches. Now I want to say a whole lot more on this given our current context. How our cultural engagements are thinning out believers' commitment to the local church. I really want to pause and say a lot on that. But I'm not today. And all you went, I know. I really want to say how belonging to a local church today, post-Christian world, is viewed as sort of supplemental to the Christian life. Um, you go when it's convenient and be a part of it, attend, listen to the sermon, get your deal, do the thing, right? Um, we think of in terms of attendance. Um, I, I want to talk about how that is a deep erosion of the mentality of the early church. That is not in line with the biblical narrative. We're living in a day when church attendance is usually met with a response of, oh yeah, well we go when we can. Oh, we attend so-and-so. We're on the books somewhere. We have so many Christians in the Western world that it's just become a thing like that, right? I want to talk about how the pandemic has thinned out the strength of the fellowship within the local church over the past two years and in churches all over the world. And I don't want to really deal with that context. But I'm not going to do that today. Because <laughs> I did that in Drippy Springs and I went way late. But I will say this, in the early church, listen to this carefully, in the early church, one of the things that a believer feared more than anything was being excluded from the gatherings. If you go and look at 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there is a really humorous pattern in those two letters. For a person in the first century church, To be excluded from the fellowship, they concluded 
the church has handed me over to Satan. To not allow me to come in fellowship with the church and be with the church. You are handing me over to Satan. Has there been a mental shift? Oh yeah. And it's not a good one. Paul writes 1 Corinthians and says, you have an immoral brother doing things that even pagans don't do in your church. And he's bringing deep reproach upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You've, you've been approached for repentance. He refuses to repent and do, stop his behavior. He says, take this person and send him out of the church. Do not welcome him into the fellowship. Hand him over to Satan that he might te- learn some lessons here. That's 1 Corinthians. Then you get to 2 Corinthians. You know what Paul says there? Church, he's been knocking on the door for a year. Let him back in. Literally, that's what's happening. 1 and 2 Corinthians. He says, hey, all right, he's repented. Let him back in the church. But for a person in the first century to not be allowed to come in together with the church was I would lose protections. I would, not, I would, I would begin to sort of be overcome with things. I, I wouldn't have the strength. I wouldn't have the encouragement. I wouldn't be filled with the hope all the time. I would, I would lack nourishment for my soul. I, I need to be with the church. You're handing me over to Satan by leaving me out of there. And I'm going to tell you, today, we are nowhere near seeing church attendance like that. We are so far removed from that mindset. And I get, some of us might push back and rebel a little bit against the legalism of our day when our parents were like, if the doors of that church are open, you're going to be there, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? I was there. I grew up in the same thing, and I did not want to be there. I was drugged. I was drugged to church, you know? And, and I know some of you are there too, and you were like, man, it ain't that. I know it's not that, but let me tell you what it's not. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll go. We go, we'll go when we can. That is so far from the biblical narrative, the biblical attitude toward church. I think we've swung too far. We have swung way too far. This is, it should be one of the most important things of your life if you're following Christ. It is essential, like our governor said during the pandemic, church is essential services. Now, that's not just a legal thing to protect us. That is true. The welfare of a human soul is at stake when it comes to gathering together as the body of Christ. We need it. All right, I'm sorry. I'm not going to preach on that this week. (laughs) Vandenberg was planted in 1973 to do this very thing, the mission of the gospel. We see in Acts 2. And, and seeing people in this local community become followers of Christ, follow in baptism, join the family, grow in Christ's likeness through the community of faith and the rhythms that we do together, worship and prayer and fellowship and the word of God and aligning our lives together in this whole thing. We've been doing this for 50 years. And we will continue to do that, not because it's what we've always done, but because the biblical mandate calls for the church to be that. And we're committed to that. And many people at Bannockburn over the years have made major sacrifices so that you and I could follow Christ together right now in enjoyable environments. Um, We're not 
meeting in a parking lot somewhere because we have no place to meet. We have incredible luxuries that are handed to us from people long ago, and they don't probably know any of you. And you don't know them. But they made major sacrifices in their life so that you and I could enjoy what we enjoy right here, right now. And the church is always to be thinking like that. And I praise God they thought like that. They thought about us. And now, guess who we get to think about? People who aren't here. People 30 years from now who are going to be reached by a Bannockburn ministry that you don't even know who they are. But we're always called as the church to make sacrifices for those people who aren't even here yet. Every church continuously thinking about who's not here yet and fulfilling the biblical mandate right here among ourselves. But here's the danger that can happen for a church, especially a church 50 years old, is we can choose a different path. We can get real comfortable. Uh, We can get big budgets paying all the bills. We can get lots of numbers of people filling the seats. We can get big programs, big facilities. And and we as a church, we can get very comfortable in a mode. And and in that mode, many times we begin to trust what we can do only. Instead of trusting what God maybe is pulling us into and stretching us to think about who's not here and think about the future of our church. We always have to be thinking about the future gospel the future gospel ministry through us. And so from time to time, God stretches the church to keep our eye on the ball. And I believe that that's the season that we're in. And I believe God is calling us in our day to make major sacrifices, as many has done for us, that we would do the same for the others that are coming. In a city that's exploding in growth, the opportunity is enormous. And think of the future impact of the gospel through Bannockburn when you and I come together and we're willing to make the sacrifices like others are made for us. I think that's a time that we're in. And so I laid out last July, I believe we're needing to make four strategic investments. I'm going to walk through these so fast and give you a quick update on everything, but I'm doing this so you can lean in with me again. And again, I don't make this as, hey, here's what Key wants to do. I promise you that's not my, my thing. I have heard you I'm listening to the Spirit of God speak through you to me and to every, and all of us t- together. I have looked at our city. I've prayed through our city the same way you have. I feel like I'm in touch with you. I feel like I'm in touch with what's happening in our city, attached with what the Lord wants to do for us when it comes to gospel impact. I keep my eye on this word and make sure that we represent God the way he wants us to in the same spirit that he wants us to. And, and in capturing all of that together, I boiled it down to these four things. I feel like the Lord is leading us as a body to invest in, okay? And here's the first one. Invest in our campus facilities for future impact. Facilities can't make you. What makes you is Acts 2. That's what makes you. Facilities can't make you. You can have the best facilities in the world and be a dead church because you're not anywhere close to what Acts 2 is. But, but you can... But, but facilities can break you. Location can break you. A lack of money and funds can break you from more impact than you could have on your community. So facilities do matter, but they aren't the most important thing. They can't make you. But we need to invest in our campus facilities for future impact. In Dripping Springs, we, had a, we still have a capacity issue in Dripping Springs. And in South Austin, we have a quality issue. We have tons of square footage. But of the five buildings on this campus, did you know only one is sprinklered and has elevators? 
And all of them are more than one story. And so we are severely dated on this campus in our facility infrastructure. And so we're in process of making these investments. And I want to update you on where we are. We have completed our Dripping Springs Phase 1 student and kids building. Man, we have solved a major issue. We had a, a ribbon cutting this past week out there. There should be a picture. Yeah, I do not know how to work the scissors on that stuff. Because uh, I, I was actually just going to cut it like I thought was normal, you know, like this. And the lady was like, no, 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 like this. And I was like, oh, okay. All right, so I got it right. But anyway, I don't know how to work those. But praise God. We have solved an issue. We are increasing our capacity in Dripping Springs in a rapidly growing campus. Uh, it's exciting. Every time I go out there, I'm seeing new people and new faces, and it's packed and all that stuff. It's wonderful to see what's happening out there. And we have a cash buyer that's going to offer the, 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 the selling price for the land down the hill where our students used to be. Thanks for praying. And if you were praying specifically for that, come see me. I have another list for you. Uh, I just want to know who those uh, prayer warriors are that God does stuff when they ask. You know, I don't know what it is. Uh, but we're going to get, well, I think we have a cash offer. It could and they want to close quick. And we're like, oh, terrible. <laughs> like, well, that's going to knock down up to uh, probably around half a million or so, the debt on the current, that building, and knock it way down and put us in a really good place there. So we're making progress on that. Um, we are also making progress on our quality issues of our facilities in South Austin. We have assembled a South Austin campus revitalization team. We have introduced you to them in the fall at one of our business meetings. That appointed team is going to lead the South Austin campus, this campus right here, to meet the challenges of, that we have with our facilities on this campus. And it's going to take every single one of us and all of us who are not here right now or away on vacation or whatever it might be. You are included. We need to come together on this campus and really do this thing. We've kind of been, uh, and this is not a slam to anybody prior, it's just what you do with all the city requirements and everything. You've had to just sort of piece here and piece there and, and add a little this and that. It's just the, the city is so tough. We just need to bite the bullet and we just need to get together and get the project done. But that team is going to lead us in that. Um, they, are, they were interviewing design build firms all fall. Uh, they have established a design-build firm that's going to start working on dealing with some of these things and putting a, uh, the finance team is working on a number that we probably could raise as a church and set it at goals and things like that. And so they're putting a campaign together of the challenges, facility challenges we're going to meet on this campus, how much it's going to cost and what it's going to take from all of us. That all is coming together. It's just a little bit of a long process. Pray for that team. Pray for me. Pray for Rob. We're all come, trying to come together to see what that will look like. And we're, we're going to probably present you with something a little more toward uh, summer. All right, so think summer, and we'll give you a little bit more details on that. But it's a big thing. It's a big sacrifice for all of us, and it's going to be um, really wonderful uh, when it's all said and done. I know that. But secondly, invest in a multi-site expansion in Butte-Kyle. The first and most important task in launching the Butte-Kyle, if you want to know the whys, go listen to the sermon series in July. I lay that out. But the first important task was hiring or, or selecting a campus pastor and then we would all vote, vote on it. Well, God has provided. We would have 50-something candidates, nailed down to nine, then narrowed down to five, and narrowed down to three, and then to one. That was the clear candidate. We all felt very unified in this. Um, and we have a picture of him and his family. And they are currently in Scotland. And he's been to Bannockburn. Not the church, the actual city. 
You know, we're, we're named after a city. Y'all know that, right? Okay, yeah. Bannockburn, the Battle of Bannockburn, it's on Braveheart. Go watch the movie, all right? So we're tough here, and we're Scottish. I don't know. People think we're a Scottish ministry. I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Uh, so anyway, but hey, this guy, I'm so excited about it. But you know where he's from? He's in Scotland. He's from Australia. He's totally got the down under accent. And I'm like, it's not quite Scottish. What is that, you know? Um, but he had, he's been here seven years in South Austin with a church planning network. Got his ministry legs under him at First Baptist Houston. He was there for many years. Uh, so, uh, but man, I just couldn't be more excited about that. You're going to get to know him more. We're going to actually have a fellowship where we interview him with the Butical team at the Plum Creek Golf Course on March the, uh, I'm jumping out there, March 2nd or something like that. Look at, you'll get, go check your emails. Yeah, I know you don't read the email, all right? So go actually read the email. It's on there, okay? Um, but we're going to actually do an interview on March 6th right here Sunday afternoon, and we're going to vote on him and his family. And, guys, the second we vote on him, his first day on office will be the next day. And if you're in the Butical group, buckle up because the pace is about to get real quick. Y'all are just able to relax while I'm leading things. It's about to get good, okay? So uh, as soon as he gets the vote, we're going to come together and vote. And after that, uh, things are going to pick up quite a bit, and we're going to um, definitely accelerate our pace all the way up to the launch in September, okay? Uh, they try, we're going to try and have an Easter service out in the Butical area this year. Uh, so just more on that later, okay? But thirdly, bear with me, please. Bear with me. Just patience right here. Uh, Invest in positioning Bannockburn as a haven of hope and healing for the hurting. In our culture, we are experiencing anxiety, depression, mental illness, and just plain old hurting go up and to the right continuously. I make the case last July, but let me remind you, the reason why is because we've thrown God out. We have no purpose, no ethics, no value, no morals, nothing. We throw all of that out when we throw God out. But as a culture, we've thrown God out. And so we've thrown God out, and then we're lonely. We have become a more isolated community. And you tag those two things together, you get great confusion of, of who you are and what the world's all about. You have confusion of morality and ethics. You have confusion, and that will lead to anxiety and depression and all kinds of lostness of soul. Well, that's only going up. And I feel like the Lord is telling us the world around us is only going to get colder in the days ahead, and the church needs to position itself like a warm campfire in the midst of that cold world. And the way they view the world. We have the truth. And Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. We are rooted in things of authority that God, thus said the Lord, the creator, who fills our hearts with hope and healing and wholeness. And we have the gospel. And it's going to be like a warm campfire to a cold and dying world out there. But we have to be prepared. We have to know how to help people to get from where they are to the gospel. And so that means each of us needs to be prepared to help people with anything that they face. We need to be a church that is all about biblical counseling. Biblical counseling is just discipleship. But we need to help people with all their hurts, habits, and their hang-ups. We need to all be prepared for that, okay? So we have broken down the biblical counseling training into four groups. We want to be a church. Everybody ready for this. So every member at Bannockburn trained in biblical counseling to know what to do when you run into a hurting person in our community. That the church should be the place that they go. Not necessarily first an office building, but the church. Counseling is discipleship. And discipleship in the word of God brings healing and hope. 
So we should have those answers. So on, uh, on uh, February 27th, next Sunday in South Austin, we're going to have a two-hour training. And, it's, and we're asking every member to come and sacrifice those two hours. It's not a football game. All right, we tried to plan it in a way where you would be most convenient for you. We're going to have coffee and snacks to help you endure the two hours of brain-melting depth. But, but maybe some of you have a heart to help people, help hurting people. This is where you start. But we want every member to start here, okay? Then they're going to have a 201 that's for lay leaders in our church as well as for anyone wanting to upscale into the counseling realm. If you feel like you go to 101 and you, you, what you hear sets a fire in your heart and you want to upscale to, be, to maybe go more toward an, a, a counseling accreditation, you'll have the upscale. You can go to 201. And 201 is a, a one-and-a-half-hour course, one-hour, 15-minute course every Wednesday night from the following Wednesday, which would be the February 29th, 30th, something like that, for nine weeks. And you'll finish the 201. 301 will begin a pathway of moving you toward certification among the Biblical Counselors Association. 401, you'll get the certificate and you'll be able to lay counsel at the church. We would hope that there'd be some of you that would go all the way to 401. And then, ultimately, after 401, we would have a counseling center, a Bannockburn Counseling Center, that will be able to handle any need, any hurt, habit, or hang-up that anyone in our culture anyone in our community is struggling with, they have a place to go and we can help them and we can bring hope and healing to their hearts. But it all starts with you and me next Sunday, three to five. Let's do the 101 and let's see where God takes us, okay? Can you be here with me? Okay. I heard yes, so I'll just say that. All right. That's a free training. Lastly, invest in planting three churches in the next three years in North American cities where the gospel is needed most. This is something we have committed to ever since I got here for six years now. Um, we've done that. The three churches are Echo Church in Anaheim, California. We are continuing to support that plant. Then La Chapelle in Quebec, Canada, totally French-speaking. French it's kind of international, but it's in Quebec, Canada. And then Grace Church in Boston, Massachusetts, moving on in their church planning network. We are, going to, we are supporting the new plants in the Grace Church network in Boston. We're continuing that relationship as well. We continue to do that. We're a year and a half now into a three-year commitment with those three churches. Okay, So just as an update, we're, we also might send trips to these locations to help them during the summer. So be looking forward to that closer to summer as well. Okay? Okay. Well, you're updated. Thanks for bearing with me. Let's pray together as we close. Uh, Father, we just thank you for your word today. Thank you for the picture and acts of your church. And Lord, we want to be that. And uh, Lord, I know oftentimes churches uh, swerve to the right and to the left of that, 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 Acts, 2, uh, that Acts 2 example. Well, Lord, keep us centered. Keep us centered in you. Keep us centered in the gospel. Keep us centered in grace. And, oh, Lord, as we are centered in those things in a healthy way, use us for your glory. Produce gospel fruit in South Austin, Dripping Springs, Butte Lord, we believe that in the future you have much greater things to do through Bannockburn. And we commit ourselves to that. Lead us personally in what you would have us to do to be a part of that. Spirit of Jesus, you have all of us. We're thankful for the sacrifices that have been made for us to enjoy here today. Lead us to know what sacrifices to make for the gospel kingdom. 
speak to hearts this morning during this time of response, during this song. Take us where you want us to go. Make us what you want us to be. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We stand with me all across the room. Let's sing this song together.